African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Hey, it's 11 o'clock. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Uh, thank you to Ayanda Mkwanazi who was standing in for me yesterday. And it's great to be back right here on Channel Africa. Remember, we're on the shortwave service on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. And on DSTV, we're on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet streaming. Uh, you can go to our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to be trying to really figure out what are we talking about when we're referring to this term uh, trade war. Uh, some say it's an economic conflict resulting from extreme protectionism in which states raise or create tariffs or other trade barriers against each other in response to uh, uh, trade barriers created by the uh, other party. Increased protection causes both nations' output compositions to move towards their positions. China, now we're seeing China and the United States are locked in an ongoing trade war as we speak there are predictions that uh, if uh, they don't sort this out if uh, the two presidents of the two countries fail to ease trade friction uh, the u.s is said to prepare another round of tariffs on all remaining chinese imports and uh, we don't know what will that mean for china and also for uh, the world economics but to help us on this particular issue we joined on the line by terry bell political, economic and labor analyst. And also we have Amanda Fitchin, who is an independent economist, joining us on the line. Thank you both for giving us your time. Terry, let me start with you in terms of, uh, I tried to briefly describe what this trade war means because it's a new term that keeps coming in and out in the very geopolitical space that we find ourselves in economically in the world. But from your perspective, why do you think this uh, term has become so prominent lately? Well, the point is we have to forget about one thing. People refer to a trade war, what's going on, for example, at a high level between the United States and China. But in fact, there's a long, low-level trade war going on continually. Trade wars continue to go under the present system of economic competition. They can't stop. You're right about the general definition being based on um, the idea of putting in tariffs, etc. But it's based on a fallacy that the free flow of trade between nation-states or regions is both fair and beneficial to all. Uh, I think that's simply not true. in fact, the existence of you know, competing nation-states or in this global economy we've got competing transnational corporations, it means ongoing war. Because war is merely competition aimed at bettering the opposition. When it gets to a high level, such as between the United States and China, it could well escalate, obviously, and then gets into what we call a hot war. But, you know, as that old saying goes, all is fair in love and war. Perhaps it shouldn't be like that. But unfortunately, that is the reality. So nation states, for example, subsidize their producers to enable them to export to other countries. And and in doing so, they they undercut domestic producers in the importing countries. We just have to look at our own examples here. There are plenty of them. Mm. I mean, the dumping of American and Brazilian poultry made a big thing a few months ago. Mm. All manner of products, garments, etc. 
this is where the so-called free market, which is, in fact, I would argue, an anarchic system that ensures increasing wealth going to a tiny minority, it amounts to, to what I think the unions mainly refer to, and I think correctly, as a race to the bottom for working people, for mm. those who have to sell their labor in order to survive. Mm. Mm. So I think trade war, we have to understand that trade wars are ongoing and will not stop. Let me bring it to you, Amanda. Do you agree with Terry's definition, almost linking it with the free market competition landscape that we currently function in? Um, I agree that on paper that's what um, it should be um, because um, as an economist we talk about tariffs and um, quotas being imposed to control um, trade between countries. Mm. But what actually happens is not necessarily ever um, put onto paper. And so uh, th- this war can be a silent war as well. So um, they're not always open, openly um, evident to everybody. Now, staying with you, Amanda, in terms of what's happening between the United States and China, I know there's a big issue especially when it comes to steel imports from China into the United States and it seems like there are tensions in in that regard and uh, it it seems like there are going to be an increase of those particular uh, tariffs that uh, uh, if this issue is not uh, um, being sorted out between uh, President uh, uh, Donald Trump and his counterpart in China. Uh, how do you think this actually affects uh, the dynamic of the world economy and also um, developing countries such as South Africa? Well, um, steel is a good example, especially for South Africa. During the 70s and 80s, South Africa made steel here, hot rolled cold steel, um, at in the bottom quartile of prices within the world. And America actually put um, trade embargoes on South African steel because it was too cheap entering the American market. So it seems kind of ironic that now America is doing it to China. They've already had their round with South Africa in the late 80s and 90s. Um, So it's nothing new. It's a, a method of increasing the price, the landed price of steel in America to make their steel production more competitive. Mm. And Terry, in terms of that, what we're talking about in that regard, I know it's also something that the United States seems to have kind of a superpower in position upon other nations. I know that uh, Donald Trump has also questioned the OPEC countries in terms of uh, oil prices and crude stockpiles in terms of uh, uh, the pricing and also how the availability of uh, crude oil is in different parts of the world. And that also creates another area whereby we're seeing another power dynamic here. Well, there's power dynamic all over the show. And what we really have is a rising economic power, now already the second largest economy in the world, which is China. But the largest military power in the world is the United States. Mm. And that is where the real danger lies, because ultimately you can end up with trade wars, if you like, competition over economic resources, which is really what trade wars are all about, economic resources and the control of of profits and resources, etc., can lead to hot wars. For example, the United States has already started to put a fleet, and if you have a look at the map of the United States bases around the Pacific, which are 
geared to surround China. At the same time, China is actually creating artificial islands into the uh, what's called the South China Sea in order to actually claim more territory and actually set up military bases. That leads to the danger that such trade war, such competition can lead to, which is a really hot war. Now, regulation seldom changes anything. Uh, the point is, you know, you can have the World Trade Organization, you the IMF, the World Bank, etc. Uh, they're all part and parcel of the same system, and they're acting in the interest of preserving the status quo, which in itself is problematic as I see it. So what happens is, in the final analysis, and this is the dangerous area, might is often seen as right. So, for example, take even the International Criminal Court, for example. The United mm. States simply refuses to recognize sure. it. Uh, we have even regulations, rules governing the rules of war, the Geneva Convention, etc. Totally ignored, for example, right at this present moment mm. in Syria and in Yemen, for example. Mm. So, uh, I mean, the point is we have to acknowledge that these things exist. It's how we deal with them. And I don't think that the present situation, the present international institutions are capable of in any way dealing with a situation where the world is today producing a surplus of virtually every socially necessary item. And that surplus means that the various producing areas, countries, whatever, are continually competing more and more against one another, getting costs down, productivity is a big call, getting costs down as low as possible, and that means that ordinary working people are the ones who suffer. Or in this age of digitization, automation, and mechanization, it means that throwing millions more people out of work or will never work again. Well, I'm going to take a quick break, and I want us to contextualize that in terms of maybe furthering the example that Amanda made in terms of the implications that this trade war that we're seeing right now uh, dominating dominating between the U.S. and um uh, China, but as was highlighted by Terry, there there's different uh, permutations that could come out of a trade war. It could also come uh, in the form of a low-level trade between various countries, various companies in a competitive environment. But we'll come back with more in terms of what implications does this have, especially in an economy such as South Africa, and also we're seeing in other African countries slowing GDP rates. Um, how would that impact the us as a continent? We'll deal with those questions after this break. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize it's just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1,000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C. on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. 
Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushata. I'm right here on African Dialogue. Come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Well, today we're trying to break down what does this idea of trade war, the reality it is now, we know that is no longer uh, just a concept or just a myth or a mystery. It's something that actually is unfolding before our eyes in a large scale as we're seeing these two superpowers, China and the United States, actually have a trade war on each other and you are seeing how, how that has an impact not just on the two countries but is actually changing the landscape of uh, uh, their global markets and how they actually trade and uh, if you're just joining us now we've got Terry Bell political economist and labor analyst Amanda Fitchin is with us as well independent economist on the line Amanda let me start this part of the conversation with you when we look at uh, the issue of the demand that uh, Donald Trump Trump is making with Saudi Arabia, the fact that uh, Saudi Arabia has actually warned of an oversupply, especially when it comes to oil prices and the issue that the OPEC governors are, are warning against this oversupply that Donald Trump is uh, speaking against and saying, hey, they should just open uh, uh, the supply and make sure that uh, there's more of uh, the market determines itself instead of a limitation from OPEC. And I know that hasn't had a result on countries such as South Africa and other African countries when it comes to the oil price. How bad is that situation there? Because it seems like this debate that has been long going half of this year is taking us nowhere slowly and the ordinary consumer is struggling from it. Well, the oil issue is not going to go away ever. Um, It's been an issue in terms of a cartel, which OPEC is, since its establishment many years ago. And, um, well, the theory of how cartels um, operate will give you an idea of how complicated the issue could be because of the membership um, uh, interests within a cartel. Mm -hmm. And so uh, America versus the um, Arabian countries for oil that argument will never get settled. Um, the Arabs have got far more oil than America has, and they are pretty well organized as well as, as a um, conglomerate there. How it's affecting us? Well, like most things in trade, South Africa is a tiny little boat out on a huge ocean, and it's just bobbing around, being tossed one way and the other by what happens in the bigger bigger economies of the world. Mm. Terry, what are your thoughts in terms of, it seems like that's another dynamic when it comes to these trade battles that we're seeing now. And it's nothing new when it comes to the, um, you know, the strength that OPEC has as a unit in Saudi Arabia versus other oil producing um, countries or um uh, groupings. Um, how do you contextualize this, especially against uh, uh, Donald Trump's bullying tendencies as well? So you, you're seeing these two dynamics where, yes, you have this guy who's actually demanding, hey, let's create a supply of uh, uh, crude oil. And then there's, there's also another dynamic of OPEC as a superpower that also has profit-making intentions saying, wait a minute, uh, this is our prerogative here. 
Well, the point is I agree with Amanda. This is something that's never going to go away, well, not just in the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. The point is, of course, Donald Trump is pushing the Saudis and, and the Gulf states, basically, because uh, he wants a lower oil price, and that's because of the fracking situation in the, in the United States. Now, this is a classic example of producers in a local nation, in a nation state, who require a certain global price for a global commodity such as oil to be at a certain level in order for them to become profitable. And that's one of the problems. This is one of the tensions that actually leads not just to diplomatic tensions and can actually lead to physical confrontation, which is, you know, hot war. And I think that that is one of the dangers. The cartels have always existed. I mean, the the classic cartel, of course, is the old De Beers Diamond Cartel, the central selling organization. Uh, Rocks Diamonds are should be a fraction of what they are, and which is why I think the Oppenheimers were very shrewd in 2011 to sell off all their uh, their interests, mm. because that was a cartel that simply mined all the diamonds that were available, kept them, and then leaked them gently onto the market to keep the price up. And that's the way, basically, OPEC works. And now pressure is coming on from the United States as the biggest military, and also the biggest, at the moment, economic power, to get these states to comply, to lower the price by upping the, the, the production of oil. All of this is just an on, on, these are ongoing trade wars. It's the same as, for example, I went into the supermarket last week and I discovered cans on the shelves of millies, well, baby corn from China. I discovered sweet corn in tins. Now, we produce a surplus of millies in this country uh, from Thailand. There are tomatoes mm. in cans, underselling canned tomatoes in South Africa that come from Italy, where mm. the wages are higher, etc. They're subsidized. That's all part of ongoing trade wars. Now, what Amanda says is correct, but what we need to do, we're just being tossed around by what's happening in this ocean, a little boat, South Africa. But we can, and I think we should, take greater control over the direction. That does not mean we become isolationists. We can't. No no nation is an island unto itself. But at the same time, we are theoretically a country that is food sufficient. We're also a country that has a fantastic wealth of natural resources which are needed. So we should and perhaps could take greater control. Now, that does not necessarily mean state control because mm-hmm. we then end up simply with one boss and another boss. Perhaps we need to think in terms of democratizing our economy to a greater extent. That's can, something we should talk about. Can you about. elaborate on Other that? Other than that, we're, we're stuck. Can you elaborate on that democratization of the economy? How would we actually start? I know that even right now there are limitations from a South African context in terms of uh, diversifying the market in itself. And uh, that seems to be a big challenge. And I'm sure that it's what the intentions of the president, Cyril Maposa, is trying to do with his investment campaign. And we saw him very much interested in kind of uh, wanting different industries to kind of uh, invest into the country. But that's a big challenge, isn't it? Well, the point is, investment does not necessarily translate into jobs, jobs and that's yeah. our main problem. Sure. And coupled to that, of course, is, is the whole situation of poverty. Investment doesn't mean that. What this country has done, we had a thriving garment industry, for example, in this country, and not very long ago. It's been totally swamped, but that's because there's a global situation of, over, of overproduction. You know... You can, you can have a look at a simple example. Take sports, major sportswear brands, for example. They own no factories. 
They have a small design facility somewhere, and they travel around the world offering production contracts to whichever production facilities offer the lowest prices. So, for example, you'll get your Adidas trainers made one year in Indonesia because they're making them for $5, say. In the meantime, they hunt around, they say to, to Vietnam, well, if you can make them for $4, well, you can have the contract. And this is the race to the bottom for ordinary workers. And that's the, one of the results. And one of the ca- these are the casualties of the ongoing trade war. Now, what we could do is perhaps, for a start, maybe take on what the unions in this country actually called for 20 years ago, mm. and that was that we should only trade with those countries that observe similar wages and working conditions to those that obtain in this country. That's, that's a good start. Mm. At the same time, we should actually not have the huge wage and welfare gap. That should also be closed. And perhaps we should talk in terms of local investment. We'd have to talk about how it should be done. But I think that's where the debate mm. should go. Well, I'll bring Amanda Fitch in after the break. I want to hear her views in terms about how do you actually deal with uh, such a, a very much a contested market, as you could see and hear uh, from Terry Bell, analyzing the situation currently globally, but also using the South Africa as a context. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back and get Amanda's viewpoints after this. If you're interested in a real-life story of friendship, then join Channel Africa for a book reading of 65 Years of Friendship, written by George Bezos about his relationship with African icon Nelson Mandela. From Monday to Thursday at 2200 Central African Time and during the weekend on Saturday and Sunday at 800 hours Central African Time. Join us for 65 Years of Friendship, a real-life drama. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. This is Channel Africa. South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English. Giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunian Zovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. We are South Africa's external service into sub-Saharan Africa, and also we uh, serve South Africa as well. But you can also listen to us uh, internationally on our website on www.channelafrica.co.za. If you're listening to us via our shortwave service, we're on that frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And uh, don't forget that we're also on DSTV Channel 802 on the 
audio bouquet. Well, we're going to wrap up this conversation with our guests as we try and really figure out this trade when it seems like it has many um, facets and layers as is highlighted by both of our guests. Well, let's uh, wrap it up. Amanda, there were some uh, kind of conclusions there that Terry came uh, with in terms of trying to find ways to circumvent this uh, uh, space, especially when it comes to developing countries, making South Africa his example there. What are your thoughts in terms of how developing countries on the African continent can handle uh, the crisis that we're starting to see economically? Well, if we speak specifically about South Africa, one of our biggest problems, and there are two sides to every story, but one of our biggest problems is the labor legislation, which faces most manufacturers, um, making labor relatively expensive. To go back a number of years, one of these multinationals that Terry um, was talking about, Adidas, it was someone similar, was looking to produce here in South Africa, which meant that people, seasonal workers, would get um, employed for certain months of the year while this company needed products um, manufactured here. But with the South African hiring and firing legislation, it wasn't possible to take on um, workers and then um, have them leave once the contract was finished. So South Africa lost out on that, that contract, that specific contract. So uh, manufacturing in South Africa, where probably we can create a number of jobs, uh, faces some hurdles in the labor sense. Um, and... <coughs> Yeah, if you were to compare buying a T-shirt from Mauritius, which mm. is probably a, a, a good comparison because they have this uh, similar markets with mm. the South African one, uh, what do people look for in a T-shirt? The quality and the price. Mm. And so if there's uh, a means of comparing quality, then it all comes down to price. And yes, we do want to achieve um, decent labor um, standards, but one has to ask at what price that is um, in terms of wages and, and lost jobs, jobs not um, created. And then the last thing that we have to consider as South Africans is the nature of our labor uh, market. Uh, most of our unemployment is in the form of low or no skilled laborers. And often they can't move into jobs which would be created even in the short term on seasonal contracts. So it's a bit of a bind. It works, you know, South Africa's in a bind in terms mm. of labor. And in terms of those particular issues, why are they so important in such a constrained economic environment, especially when you're starting to see um, the imposition and the introduction of tariffs and trade barriers? Oh, are you talking about the labor legislation? Just everything in general in terms of uh, diversifying the market, labor legislation, mm-hmm. uh, relaxing some of our policies on, on economy? Well, you see, it depends. What, you can't fix everything all simultaneously. And mm. it's, it's often a, a bid to, to fix everything simultaneously leads to nothing getting fixed or worse problems than um, what we started with. So... Um, the labor issue in South Africa is is not a comfortable one because there are there's no single way to deal with the problem, um, and it's actually getting worse, not better. And mm. so you can see that that even the um, legislation that has been put in place hasn't 
rectified the market. Mm. We're still sitting with a worse position than we were in a number of years ago. So um, the policymakers have some thinking to do. Mm. Well, let me end it with you, Terry, in terms of your perspective. We're even now speaking about uh, the domestic environment versus these uh, international uh, attentions. Uh, What are your final sentiments in that regard, especially the fact that uh, most countries are constrained domestically, but they still have to compete with these uh, very much uh, uh, brutal um, international um, environments and what's happening internationally? We should not compete unfairly with unfair practices. Amanda says, at what price decent labor standards? Well, I say at no price because decent labor, decent work, means decent conditions and decent wages in order to give people, ordinary people, a decent livelihood. Yes, of course, we can go out and compete. We can compete with Bangladesh. We can compete with China. We can compete with Indonesia. We can compete with the lowest of the low. We can compete with someone working in a sweatshop in India. Is that what we want? I don't think we do. And I don't think our labor laws stand in the way at all. In fact, our labor laws compared to those in more developed countries such as Europe and whatnot are on, on on a par. They don't hold back anything. And the whole of Africa has been pillaged for far too long. What we need to say is we are a wealthy continent. We're the engine of the continent is still South Africa, so we could perhaps lead the way. With a wealthy continent, we should say, we will give decent work, decent wages, and we will trade with those countries that observe the same sort of standards. And if we start to do that, perhaps we'll make a start in Africa and starting from South Africa in changing this lunatic, anarchic situation which is throwing millions of people onto the scrap heap as being unemployable for life. In the meantime, of course, we have to also provide better education and better schools. But in a digital age, we have to be aware that more and more things are going to be automated. There are going to be fewer and fewer jobs for people. Mm, well, thank you so much for helping us on this very complex um, uh, topic that actually was now it kind of went into various direction in terms of how this actually uh, the trade war can look very much big can look external but sometimes it's happen- happening right in front of your door thank you to our guest terry bell who's the political economic and labor analyst joining us on the line thank you as well to manda fitchin who's joining us today as an independent economist thank you both for your time thank you very much Benjamin. thank you Fantastic. Uh, very differing viewpoints there. But how do you think a trade war would affect me and you in terms of what's happening in uh, internationally and also how it affects us as a continent? Remember, we want to hear from you. So you can do that on our various platforms. Remember, we've got an email address. That's info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. Or you can give us your thoughts by uh, contacting us on our number. Give us your views on our programming. What's us on plus two seven seven six three zero zero double three two seven well let's take a quick break with some music after that very very loaded conversation with our guests uh, this is the soil this one is titled joy we are family one two three four I got my friends and my pals singing this to nurse. We wish our voices ring in peace on this earth. Because in the name of Jesus Christ, we were blessed at birth. 
the gift of singing your sorrows away. We won't sing till we dry the sorrows away. Please don't cry when those chains are blowing away. And I know I don't know who you are, but I know we, we are family. I know it, I know it, I know we it. We family. I got my mother, my brother, my sister, and love there on your own, you're probably listening to the song, pumping all over your radio, and suddenly you feel a joy, joy, hey, you're singing along, the song comes in, you don't care, just carry on, you're probably sitting there on your own, you're probably listening to the song, it's pumping all over your radio, and suddenly you feel a lot of joy. Oh, it's the kind of feeling for the body. 
Yeah. 